Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Now we're moving forward with our, our theme, Love Is. So many people have come up to us saying how much this series has started to open up their thinking about love and had an impact on them. And there's many people being prayed for and people are really registering that we felt that we, it was right to actually explore some depth in this series a little more because you don't always get the opportunity to look under the skin of certain topics. And so we're going to do that and we decide to extend it. And this morning, my heavily theological title is Love is Not a Milkshake. <laughs> Love is Not a Milkshake. I was thinking, God, what, what should I call it this morning? Uh, and hopefully it'll make sense. Love is not a milkshake. Who likes milkshakes? Who doesn't like milkshakes? Oh, a few. Oh, well, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, love is not a milkshake. Who likes a good milkshake? Um, I had a conversation with my daughter during the week, and she, one late evening, I was going, I love savoury. I'm not a sweet person particularly. I love spicy. You probably know that by now. I love anything with chilli and jollof rice attached to it. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sold on it. I, I love it. But milkshakes, I can take them or leave them. But um, anyway, she got some ice cream, some good quality ice cream, and she put it in the blender, and she got some white chocolate chips and stuck them in the blender, and she got some salted caramel syrup and put it in the blender, and then got some milk and put it in the blender, and then she hit the blender button and whizzed this thing up into a kind of frothy something or other, and, um, and I thought, what a waste of good ingredients. <laughs> that, that's how I responded. I said, why would you waste ice cream in a milkshake? She said, that's how they do it. And I said, so I let her drink it, and I spoke to her later, and I said, well, what did it taste like? She said, vanilla. <laughs> I said, no, what, what else? Did it have any other flavor? And she said, yeah, it tasted like sugar. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is because love is not a milkshake. Now, you're probably trying to figure out where I'm going with this. But when you put good quality ingredients and you blend them together, you lose the identity of the ingredients. And it becomes vanilla. It becomes just a, like a soupy thing. Now, who loves curly kale for breakfast? No, no, no. One person who is a guinea pig, let me tell you. <laughs> I, guinea pigs love curly kale. And why do we put... Uh, smoothies together for breakfast that include curly kale. It's not because we want to eat curly kale for breakfast. It's because we don't want to eat curly kale for breakfast. And we hide it in the smoothie. And we put mango, kiwi, and water in just to disguise the fact we're forcing ourselves to eat and drink the most disgusting thing <laughs> God ever created. That's why he gave it to guinea pigs. Now, I know it's really healthy for you, but... Given the choice, I'd go for the milkshake. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's what often happens with smoothies, isn't it? Actually, smoothies disguise the stuff you don't like. There's a reason for it. They don't want to separate out the things. They know, you know, if you want to give your kids vegetables, put them in a smoothie and add ice cream, <laughs> then they'll love it. But love is not a milkshake. Why is love not a milkshake? Because there's lots of things that are very important. There are specific ingredients in love that if you're not careful, you'll just whisk into life and you'll miss the sensitivity of it. And I'm going to dive straight into 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. You've probably been wondering why we haven't 
uh, touched on 1 Corinthians 13. But I'm just going to take this one and a bit verse and help us to see that love is not a milkshake. Love is ingredients that will work for you or work against you. And the, the danger is that we, we do a journey in life and we, we get into relationship with people and we take them for granted. How do we do it? We just think we can stick whatever we like in the mix and turn the blender on and actually it doesn't matter. And it does matter. It matters in your marriage. It matters in church life. It matters with our friendships. You can't just do anything because there are consequences to doing certain things. And if you vanilla it over and say, well, I love you. I really do. Give me a hug. But actually, you've got ingredients that are going to do damage. You've got to be aware of that because there, there is no way out of that. You will do damage. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to slowly unpack these few verses. It starts off by saying love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. So the Bible tells us more in the next few verses about what love is not. It also tells us what love is. And the reality is, if we just stick whatever we like in the blender and say it's love, and then we whisk it up so no one can tell the difference between it's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. Husbands, if you are doing one set of things, and you just think by blending something else into the mix, you'll change the taste. You won't. You're going to leave a bad taste in the relationship. You can't actually separate out these ingredients. In love, patience and kindness are very, very important factors. You can't just blend it into the milkshake. You, you can't. You can't just stick some other ingredients or, or say, well, actually, I'm not going to be patient this week, or I'm not going to be kind this week, but you know what? I'm earning the money. I'm going out to work. I've got to look after the kids. And so you stick what you like in the back. You can't do that. Because human nature and the way God's made us, we will unpack the ingredients. And actually, if you mess around with the ingredients, you just blend them together as if it doesn't matter. And I have a problem with hypocrites who, who say they love you in one minute, and then they do something that definitely demonstrates they don't love you the next minute. Why? Because all they're doing is sticking in the blender the ingredients. And people do that, and they don't even realize they do it because they get into the habit of doing it. And people who have been married for a period of time, they can get into the habit of doing it. You know what? Let's just whitewash over something because we'll just stick it into the blender and we'll say, oh, it's love, but it's not. Because you can't actually, some of these things don't mix well. And the truth is people don't forget. People don't forget easily, and people have to work through stuff. So love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Um, they're active choices. They're specific ingredients. You can't just blend them together and just turn it into a milkshake and say, well, take it or leave it. That's what love is for me. It's active choices. But it's active choices with God. That's why you can't be fast and loose with your faith. You can't be sinning one minute actively and say, you know what? I love God. I'll be at church next weekend, but I'll just dip a little bit of sin into my life. No one else will know. And God will forgive me because of his grace. I just stick it because, you know, it still tastes like vanilla. And no one else will know because I can do my other stuff in life. And no one else will know. But God knows. And actually other people do know. And other people do see. And other people see way more than you realize they see. Because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And actually you can't conceal what's going on. 
And it comes out because you, it may be one thing with one hand, but it's actually being demonstrated through something else. And people can see it. So love needs to be active, not passive. It's not a passive, let's vanilla everything and just whisk it up and hide the curly kale. It's not. It's be aware that love has got specific ingredients and they all have a taste. They all have a taste. Now that's exciting because you can work on the various tastes. You can work with them. You can actually build through them. Um, but don't ever think you can just blend them into soup or into milkshake or into a smoothie. It won't work. It won't work. So why does love include patience? Patience, the word, the Greek behind the word patience, actually means far from anger, being far from anger. So if you're someone who's prone to anger, then you have to work on it. It's not an excuse. You can't just say, I can get angry. It's in my milkshake. But, it, but you know, the other things I do are really good. And so, so we'll get the taste tasting right overall. It doesn't work like that. With love, if you're an angry person or if you're not patient, you've got to work on that. You've got to, you've got to work on it because love is patient. And if you're going to love someone with agape love, you're going to love a brother, you're going to love God, you've got to work on it. It's not an opt-out and say, I'm just going to stick it into the blender and just hope the taste comes out okay. You see, the scriptures support this. Whoever is patient has great understanding. So there's a benefit to working on your patience. And here they are. Here's a few of them. There's loads in the Bible. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding. Who wants more understanding? Who wants great understanding? Let's work on patience. But who is quick-tempered displays folly. And if you see red because something kicks off in your life and you react to it, you're in a place of dangerous risk and folly. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. You can be hot-tempered and be a silent assassin. Did you know that? You can be hot-tempered and nobody around you knows about it, but inside you're going to go kill someone for what they've done. And you are going to, you are going to get your way no matter what it takes because you will do it because you've got the skills to do it. You've got the ability to do it. And that's where patience comes in. It's, it's distancing itself from anger, even if it's public or it's private. Either it's overt, like you explode like a volcano. Who's the volcano in the room? Anyone got a volcano personality? I'm a bit like that. I'm <laughs> Who's the silent assassin personality in here? Anyone? Yeah. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with personalities. We've just got to work out how we do the right thing with what God has given us. But if we do things right, we'll get greater understanding. We'll be someone who can not only deal with ourselves, but we'll end up, God will use us to calm quarrels and storms. God will work with us because when he sees us working to what he describes as important, he uses us in those areas because he knows that's where our weaknesses have been turned into strengths. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Hebrews 6.15, Abraham had to wait a hundred years. Now that is patience. That is patience. I'll touch on that a bit later, but well, actually I'll touch on it now. In our staff meeting this week in Romans 4, I think it's verse 19, we, we looked at the patience of Abraham and Sarah. And it's really descriptive, isn't it, staff team? We were looking at it this week. That to, to look at Abraham, this old guy of 100, and Sarah, whose womb was barren, how could God's promise ever produce something in this couple? But patience, trusting in God's promise, produced 
an outpouring of the reality of God's miracle. It takes patience as well as a promise. Sometimes it's not just what you think you want. It's has God actually spoken? Is it really a promise of God that you're putting your trust in? Or is it just your opinion about what you would like? And if it is God's promise, then patience will enable you to see the miracle come out of the promise. What an exciting thing. There's principles in this. Why does love include kindness? Not a lot of kindness kicking around these days. People are very agitated, stressed out. But you know what? You can't use the excuse, God, I'm stressed out with work. I'm stressed out with finance. I'm stressed out with... God knows these pressures, but the whole world's got pressures. Our job is to be responsible, maturing believers who understand what love is. Why does love include kindness? Because kindness literally means to show undeserved generosity. Undeserved generosity. It's easy to give generously to someone you know will talk about it, or to someone you can see deserves it. But what about those who don't deserve it? What about your enemies? Love your enemies. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Unreserved generosity is what kindness means. How do you show that to your enemies? How do we show unreserved generosity to the people we don't like? Is it possible that God could work on us? In that? See, we might be very generous people, or think we are, but when it comes to actually the contrast between those who we really like and, and we, we know they deserve something, and those that there's another question, there's another level of kingdom language in this. But why should we be kind? Because kindness has got some real profitable things for our lives. Um, look at Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers up. Kindness builds people up. Kindness makes feel, people feel better. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. Forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, God, uh, Christ God forgave you. Forgive each other. It, kindness leads you to forgiveness. But it, are you that kind? Are you going to hold on to something and hold on to something and hold on to something? You're greatly thrilled that God's forgiven you, but you won't forgive another person. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel brings ruin on themselves. So if you're not really kind, if it's not really in your mix then ultimately it will bring ruin on you. That's what the Bible warns us about. It's easy to be unkind. The world, it's a lot easier. It's hard work to be kind. It's hard work to be kind, but it's a good thing. And it says that God honors it. Now, uh, David Hamilton, a PhD author, wrote, kindness reduces the emotional distance between two people, and so we feel more bonded. And that's the positive reality of kindness, isn't it? Kindness actually does magnetize people together. And that needs to be authentic. You need to be kind with an authentic motive. Not kind to manipulate, but kind to draw people together. But if you do, amazing things can happen. There's a little picture. We're still working on our Lebanon trip for you to get some information out to you. But there's a, most of the team are in that photo. I know it's a little bit tricky to see it. But a little bit of kindness draws bonding between people. Kindness reduces the emotional distance between two people. So if we choose to be kind, if you're, if you're in a strained relationship with a spouse or a friend who you deeply care about, just showing a bit of kindness is incredible. It's an incredible way of just bridging something and just actually saying, look, we don't need to, let's just move on. Let's move on and let's just build. Let's build. Kindness enables you to build and build a bond. Interesting. So why is love 
not jealous. So now we're getting on to the nots. Love is not. Love is not jealous. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Why does this appear? Because it's, you can't just stick jealousy in the blender and think it's going to go away. It doesn't just become vanilla and become an easy, sweet drink. It actually doesn't work like that. If you're jealous, some translations use the word envy. When jealousy or envy are in the mix, they're in the mix. You can't just vanilla them out. They're in there. And they will work against you. and They'll work against your life. Um, in James 3, 14, 15, it says, But if you, are a bitterly jealous, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Now, there's a really interesting thing there. We could spend ages on that one verse that jealousy, uh, people cover up things with boasting and lying. It's interesting. These things are mixed together, aren't they? But then they're, they're discreetly mixed together. So as you don't, they're not actually fully blended. They, they operate in the mix. Verse 15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's interesting, isn't it? So if jealousy and envy are operating in your world, they don't come from God. That's why they're not in love. You see, what, what do these things look like? Jealousy craves what someone else has. And jealousy by its nature craves relationship with somebody else or craves what another relationship has. And have you ever been caught out by thinking, I wish my relationship with my friend was like their relationship? And you use the comparison. And there's a danger there because we can start to think, think in a jealous way and that can build. But jealousy craves what someone else has. But you don't always see what the full picture is. Um, burning envy is when you want what someone else has got. It's, it's the relationship between us and other people. This is tackling the way we have relationship. Now, what is really interesting, um, in the scripture where it says, love is not jealous, it's interesting that the word jealous in there, translated in some versions as envy, jealousy in there is actually used in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 as well. It's not used a lot in the Bible. It's not used a lot in the Bible. But that word jealous is used with regard to spiritual gifts. Did you know that? And actually, the, the wrong kind of envy and jealousy is when you look at a person and you say, I want what they've got or I want that relationship. You know, years ago, there was someone my wife and I knew who had this danger in their life. that They, they wanted to have what we had in relationship and actually, they brought themselves right into our relationship. And I don't know how it managed to happen, but over time, subtly, we realized this person was in our relationship as, friend, as friendship. But over time, it became obvious there was way more to this than just a friendship. Because we communicate, and we talk, and we were talking about various things, and we realized that our dear friend was actually starting to put a wedge into our relationship because that person was envious of what that relationship contained. Now, how is that possible? Well, it definitely did happen. And as a result, we looked at it, we prayed about it, and we said, Lord, help us in the right way to deal with this so that the right thing happens. And we had to deal with it. But it's incredible how something can get in and how it can try and separate. It's unspiritual, it's earthly, and it's demonic. 
And we've got to guard ourselves from that thing. But earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14. So the Bible actually says, jealously desire not what someone else has, but what God has for you. Do you see the difference? God wants your passionate desire for what he's got for you. He wants us to have it. It actually, it's compelling. This is like the fire in your passion for desire. Put it into me and the gifting I've got for you. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Look it up. You don't realize it's in there, but it's the direct contrast with this scripture. So jealousy is a complex emotional encompassing feelings from fear to abandonment to rage and humiliation. Jealousy is distinguished from envy. Jealousy always involves a third party seen as a rival for affection. Envy occurs between two people and is best summed up as I want what you have. You see the danger here. You don't just ignore these things that go on in our lives. Don't just stick it in the blender and mix it up and say, no, I love you. <laughs> We've got to be aware that, that actually these things come out through our life and they can cause a lot of damage. So love is not envious. It does not envy. It, it is not jealous. But God wants us to be de- uh, deeply desirous of his gifts. He wants us to have that same passion in his kingdom and his potential, which is why I'm so pleased that our e-news went out this week with how to discover my spiritual gifts. God wants us to be almost burned up with discovery of who we are and what he's made us to be. He wants us to focus that as our, as our desire. Why is love not boastful? Well, the scriptures tell us, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches, or the academics boast in their academic ability. In fact, anything you've got, you can boast in it. You can boast in your generosity. You can boast in, but the trouble with boasting at its root, there's a pride element in boasting. There's a, look how good I am in my boasting. Is that really loving? No, there's a dangerous fine line. You can go from, well, look what I do. Look at all the work I do. I do all this stuff. And actually, it's, well, aren't I good? So what boasting does is it puts others down and it lifts me up, or it tries to, but what it actually does is it puts others down and it covers up another problem. You see, boasting by its nature is hiding something. If we look back at the previous James verses, there's a deception attached to boasting. There's a lie attached to boasting. There's something else that's being hidden. It's actually being used to mask something else. There's a, there's a mask. There's something else that is not right in a person's life. When they boast a lot, it's because they're trying to make up for something else which is damaging and dangerous, and it's in there. So when you just stick it in the blender and press the go button, it's not a milkshake. It's going to come out somewhere. In fact, people who lie, lie habitually after a while. Did you know that? They start to believe that what they're saying is true. They actually even live like it. And then all you have to do is spend a few minutes and let them talk. And then you realize they've got themselves, they've moved right from what is straight and true and and genuine and honest, and they've moved right over here into something else. But you can see it and they can't because the deception is in their own heart because they haven't focused on realizing that you don't just stick it in the blender and press the go button and it all turns into vanilla. It's actually still a very strong and powerful thing working through someone's life. So God wants us to understand love, so it protects us. And the little picture at the bottom right-hand corner of the slide there, I took in Lebanon. And I don't know why I wanted to put this picture on the screen, but 
These guys didn't have very much, and these are the shoes of a child and a parent outside a tent. And the contrast between those who would boast about what they are and who they are, and the contrast with what we saw in Lebanon with what they don't have and the pressure they're under was so huge. And I just, you can see why God doesn't like it when we boast about anything that we have created. He doesn't like it. Because he is a God of compassion. He's a God of grace. He's a God who wants to reach the marginalized and those who are in a damaged place. And I saw these shoes. and I, We went inside the, this tent, which was immaculate. We, they took their shoes off outside of their tent with UNHCR written on the outside. You know, people who are identity-less apart from their UN ID, but no national identity. You know, a person or a few people amongst two million in one country. And yet we allow ourselves to boast about the good works we do. We allow ourselves to boast about our spirituality. We allow ourselves to boast about our theological prowess, our academic achievements. We allow ourselves to boast in our, in our, our goodness. You know, I think we just got to be really careful. We've got to realize that, that actually um, that, that God's plan is to open things up. He always does. But that's why love is so important. Understanding what love really is. Love is not proud. Pride goes before a fall. It goes before destruction. Love is not proud. God wants us to operate fully in love, knowing the various elements that are important in our life. Love is not... There are a number of other areas in the Bible. I just put a few up so you could see them. Love does not... Pride goes before destruction, before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride ends in humiliation. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to conflict, Isaiah 2.11. A proud heart I will not tolerate, says God, Psalm 101, verse 5. It's the root of all sin. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven because he thought of himself as God. It's right at the heart. So there's no place for that. Husbands, wives, friends, don't allow pride to get into your situation. Don't make a milkshake out of the love you have with another person. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, realize we've got to deal with these things because they are in there and you can't separate them out and somebody else will see it operating and the enemy will exploit you for it. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what's the flip side of this? That God wants to build up even the weakest person because that's what God's brilliant at. He builds up the weakest. He builds up the, the ones who know what they don't have. The widow's might. The people who know what they, they, who they are and what they don't. The trouble is if we live in that kind of place where, where we don't really operate in love, but we've got things like envy and selfish ambition and pride, actually we're living in a kind of false place because we've built a framework around which we exist that satisfies ourselves, And actually we bring other players into the same mix to build up our own self-esteem based on our same misunderstanding. What an amazing thing. Why is love not rude? Literally means does not dishonor another. Now, it's quite interesting. If you look at love, you start to see the word honor coming into Scripture quite a lot. And the word honor uh, is in the Bible many times. I think it's 366 times you can read about the word honor in the Bible. It's, you can't disconnect love and honor. Um, Children, honor your mother and father. Do you remember that? It doesn't say love them. It says honor them. 
This is the first command with a reward. It's actually something that comes out of honoring. Something powerful. Why is love not rude? So rudeness, James 3.16, talks about the tongue. The tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it's set on fire by hell itself. Our tongues. Our tongues. Literally dishonoring other people. And did you know... Um, the word rude in Corinthians, when we were quoting this, it is not rude, has strong sexual overtones to the use of that word. It has an implication in the way it's written. And you can study that. You can look it up. The implication is that we shouldn't go there. It's not rude. Uh, we should, love is not rude. It is not slanderous. It is not doing damage to people, how we communicate. And we can communicate in lots of different ways. We communicate with our tongues, and we know there's the danger in that. But we can, we can, we can um, communicate easily with our gestures. Our gestures. There was, <laughs> those of us who were at the AOG conference saw a gesture on the platform from a guest speaker. In his culture, that was relatively okay. But in our culture, it was not okay. And the new national leader of AOG had to stand up and say, look, guys, we don't support that. We just want you to know that gesture is not appropriate. Now, sometimes people make mistakes, and we've got to be gracious with that. But some gestures, you know, what kind of gestures are rude to people? It's when they speak to you and you go, how much damage could... You ever had that? When you're talking to someone, you're in a group, and someone goes, oh, right. <laughs> what, whatever. What, what does that mean? Is that a polite encouragement? It's not even spoken, is it? Men do it this way, ladies do it that way. But you can, you know. That's why don't yawn if you're in a meeting. It's one of the rudest things. It doesn't honor a meeting. Love is not rude. Love is not rude. Attentiveness is part of this communication. Yeah. On your phone in a meeting. On your phone when you're having a meaningful conversation with your wife over dinner, just, uh, just got to check my emails, make sure my... Not good, is it? That's rude. It's rude. It's not, we're not honoring the relationship. The Bible says honor a marriage. How do we honor a marriage? We pay attention. We understand. We realize love is not a milkshake. These things are going to shine through our lives, and you can't avoid them just by sticking a massively flavorsome ingredient on top love and honor are linked love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other romans 12 10 take delight in honoring each other how can we honor each other i will honor those who honor me and i will despise those who think lightly of me says god in first samuel 2 verse 30 if god is love he expects us to honor him he doesn't expect us to be rude focus on ourselves putting others down Honoring starts with simple things like patience and kindness. If you're patient with someone, if you're kind to someone, you're starting to demonstrate honor with someone's life. When you're distancing yourself from anger, which is what patience is, you're starting to create honor in a relationship. You're creating honor. When you actually have, take the time to talk with someone rather than make an assumption, you're building honor into a relationship. You're recognizing there's more to everything than maybe your perspective. So 
outdo, ESV says, outdo one another in showing honor in that verse. Out in Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. That's, that's kingdom principles of love. Outdo one another in showing honor. So I'm just going to stick a slide up here that you can take a photo of if you like, and then we're going to pretty much wrap up. So worship team, just be ready. So how can we honor God? And there's plenty in Scripture that talks about honoring God. We can honor God through our praises. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three. When we praise, we honor God. It's with our mouth, but it's also from our hearts. When we are thankful to God, it honors God. Thankfulness honors God. Praise and thankfulness honor God. Psalm 69, verse 30. Giving the first and the best honors God. Proverbs 3, verse 9. We honor God with what we do with our bodies. Right? What do we do with our bodies? Are we allowing our bodies to be something for sinful use? Are we abusing our bodies? It's not honoring before God. What we do with our bodies matters. The way we speak in Titus 2 verse 3 is important because we either honor God or we dishonor God. The way we live, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 12, either honors God or dishonors God. Honor's a big deal. Honor your father and mother. It has a consequence to it. But we can dishonor God when we choose not to live a life of praise. We can dishonor God when we live a life without thanking God. We realize, because we end up focusing on the negative, the moany, the, oh God, why have you let me? You know, you may not even be doing that. You may just have given up on God. We dishonor God when we don't give the first and the best. We dishonor God when we over-abuse our bodies with anything addictive or with sinful behavior. We dishonor God when we speak inappropriately to others. We dishonor God if we live inappropriately. And you can say, well, how am I going to? This is a load of rules. No, it's not. You will know when you're doing something that's dishonorable. But if you don't react to it and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, then sooner or later, God will just pull back and say, okay, that's pride kicking in. That's not love. You're not loving me. That's just your pride saying, I deserve it, or I, I can't do anything about it. But you can. God will always provide a route. The Bible talks about, um, now I put, use the gifts he gives. We talked about that earlier. If, if someone gives you a gift, isn't it honorable to open it and to appreciate it? God's given every one of us, the scriptures tell us, gifts. Every one of us. And I just put it in because we happen to be talking about that as a topic right now in the church. But we need to start to use the gifts and understand the gifts that God has given us and to train ourselves in these gifts. There are gifts that are in us. And some of us think we've got gifts that we don't have. All right? The fact that we're chuckling tells me that you know it's true. We overestimate the gifting that God has put on some of us. And some of us think we're literally God's gift to something, to a person, to a relationship, to his kingdom, to the church. And actually, you're completely out of whack because your gifting needs to be tried and tested. It needs to have fruit. It needs to be proven. It needs to be understood. It needs to be worked on with humility so that God can refine that gift that's in you and me. We've got to work on it. We don't just do the gift assessment and that's it. I'm suddenly an evangelist. Don't work like that. You go out and you'll get your head bitten off by someone. <laughs> then you, the testing of our faith, etc. Honoring others. The Bible talks about it. First Peter 12, 17 is a very short sentence. It says, 
honour everyone. That's what it says. Honour everyone. Even those you don't like. Honour marriage, Hebrews 13.4. Men, women, husbands, wives, honour your marriage. Work out where it's going wrong if it's going wrong and work out how to get the support or the strength or something. You've got to work at it. Love is honouring. The Bible says, honour spiritual leaders because of the burden they carry. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, it's in Scripture. It says, honour people in authority, Romans 13, 7. Now, we don't always like the people in authority. You may not like the political regime at the moment. But the Bible tells us that we've got to honour that. How on earth we process that at times is, is a challenge. But let me just say this, honour is not agreement. Now, you might think, well, why am I saying that? Honour doesn't mean you necessarily agree with somebody. It's how you respond to who they are and what they carry. So if the queen walked in from the corner back there, I guarantee you everyone in this room would stand. You wouldn't just say sit it on your seat. You would honour her coming into the room. If honour is attached to recognising what someone carries, it doesn't always mean you agree with them. You know, um, in your marriage or in your relationships, you may not agree with someone all the time. In fact, you probably will disagree, but you've still got to honour the relationship. You've got to honour it. If you don't honour it, that thing's got nowhere to go. It's going to explode. And there are things you can do in your relationships that will totally dishonour the weight of that relationship. You will destroy a marriage by demonstrating dishonour. You will destroy a church by demonstrating dishonour. You will destroy your friendships in your workplace by dishonouring. The how you do what you do can honour or dishonour. How we do it. And honour is not about me. Honour places value where God tells you to place value. That's what God says. Because it's not, the world is not about you and me. It's about what God tells us to do for a good and solid life. Danny Silk, a writer, um, says, uh, Honour empowers people. What an amazing thing. And as I wrap up here, we're going to sing a song. So, band, if you're with me, just, just join, um, jo- join us now. Uh, final thought for myself this morning. You'll hear more about Lebanon. But I didn't take this photo. Somebody else did. And the reason I wanted to show this photo is the guy in yellow. A man called Mahmoud from Syria. The first night after we arrived on the Tuesday night, I think it was, we were in a prayer meeting. And at the end of the prayer meeting, it was deeply moving for some of our team. It was all in Arabic. Um, this, we didn't know that this man Mahmoud was in the meeting. And he's, um, been from, he's moved into Lebanon from Syria six years earlier with his wife and family. And something in that meeting triggered a response in his heart. And Dr. Magdi Torfik, who was with us on the trip, came up to me and said, Hey, Mark, do you want to pray for someone who wants to come to f- faith in Christ? I said, Of course I do. He said, Well, this guy, he just, he said, Have you got time? I said, Yeah, 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 we've got time. We're going to make time. And so we went to this back room. And what was important was it was a six year journey. We get no credit for what we did as a team. We just happened to be there at that moment. And as we were there, in that moment, God convicted that guy, now is your time. And Mahmoud from Syria with his wife, who you can't see, is just behind him. What's so important was she's been praying for him for six years. And as we led him to faith and the team all prayed, the reflection really was on his wife, who had honoured him 
from a Muslim background for six years, and she'd been praying for him and loving him and honoring her marriage and honoring him. And at just the right time, the light went on. At just the right time. Now, things happen on this journey, but isn't it amazing? You see, honor will always produce a miracle. It will produce a miracle, but dishonor won't. Dishonor will destroy, and it comes from hell. It comes from the enemy. But honoring and putting the right things in the right place will demonstrate God's love. Love is patient and kind, does not envy, does not boast, etc. And we'll pick up on others of this. But let's stand now, and let's ask God to help us. Maybe some of what I've shared with you this morning has helped us to think more about the importance of love. Love is not a milkshake. You can't just chuck anything you like into it, press the play button, the whiz button, get the froth, stick a straw in the top, and, because all the ingredients are discreet. In other words, each one counts, and they will leave a taste. And if we're going to have strong relationships, if we're going to show God's love, we've got to realize that patience and kindness... Jealousy, envy, these things are all in the mix and we've got to deal with them and do the right thing with them. So Father, as we come and we worship, as we come towards the end of this meeting, Lord, we just honour you now with our songs in Jesus' name. Amen.